Welcome to Talkless Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Bottler, and I'm your host for Talkless Water. I'm also the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org, and you can sign up for the Texas Water Journal at texaswaterjournal.org. Both publications are free. My guest today is Christina Babbitt, Senior Manager of the California Groundwater Program at Environmental Defense Fund. She is working to advance and scale groundwater sustainability policies and practices across California's Central Valley and beyond. In these efforts, Christina works to build partnerships and collaboration among the agricultural community, NGOs, agencies, and water districts. She also contributes technical expertise on water governance structure and design, and is a member of the steering committee of the California Water Data Consortium. Christina's past research has focused on sustainable water resources management and stress watersheds within the Western US, Europe, and Eastern Africa. Christina, welcome and thank you for being part of Talkless Water. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start out with your background in water. How did you first become involved with water and water issues? Sure. Well, I've always been really fascinated by the natural world around me. But I guess to pinpoint my specific interest in water, I would look back to my days in college. When I was a senior, I was able to participate in a research trip to the Dominican Republic. And I was able to experience firsthand the many hardships that a lack of access to to water can cause. And from then on, I decided that I wanted to focus my studies and my professional career on water. Early on, I focused mostly on the science behind water management, so working on water supply and demand in places like the Mara River Basin in Africa. And this is a place that's home to one of the world's largest wildlife migrations, millions of wildebeest, Thompson gazelle, and zebra. And these animals move from the Serengeti to the Masai Mara National Reserve to find fresh water and fresh grazing lands. And it's just a, an amazing spectacle that's really driven by water. And over time, as you know, I learned more about water and how it's managed, I became really fascinated and I guess you could say perplexed by water issues in my own backyard. And the reality that in many places across the Western U.S., surface water and groundwater are managed by totally separate systems with different managing entities, even though surface and groundwater are a part of the same hydrologic system. So now, after spending some time working for the U.S. EPA and NOAA and in consulting, I've really found myself at home here in California working on water issues where even in the world's fifth largest economy, we still have a million people who lack access to safe, clean, affordable drinking water. So there's lots of work that still needs to be done. Wow, a million people. And so I'm trying to remember, California has, uh, what, 45 million people, something or 50, something like that? It, It has a lot of people. Well, let's move on to your groundwater program there in California. You know, what are the specific types of things that EDF is doing? Sure. Well, I'll start uh, with just a little background. You know, California is an agricultural powerhouse. California grows one third of the nation's vegetables and two thirds of the country's fruits and nuts. And groundwater is a really critical resource to California's agriculture and our state's water system overall. During a normal year, about one third of our water supplies come from groundwater. And during a drought, as much as half of our water supply comes from groundwater. 
So our strategy here in California is really focused on building resilient groundwater supplies, mainly in areas that are dominated by irrigated agriculture, such as places like the Central Valley. We do this through several strategies that we believe can be adapted to other water stress parts of the country, you know, or even the world. So some of the things that we're doing, first, we're providing guidance. We've published working papers, reports, and even a law review journal article to help provide guidance to local agencies that have just been created in California to bring groundwater basins back to balance. We're also working on pilot projects related to groundwater accounting, trading, and land repurposing that we hope to scale in other areas of the state and even beyond. The third pillar of our work is really focused on data. So we're working with partners to provide more data to landowners and water managers about groundwater use. It may be cliche to say it, but you can't manage what you can't measure. And you definitely can't trade water if you can't measure it. So we're really working to help improve water data in California. And one project that might be of interest is a project that we're working on with NASA and Google called OpenET. And ET stands for evapotranspiration. The project will make data on water consumed by crops widely accessible across the Western United States, including in Texas later this year. And perhaps the last thing I'll mention is an initiative called the Leadership Institute, which is aimed at helping educate communities that have long been overlooked in water decision making. It's really vital to equip community members with knowledge and skills so that they can play a larger role in shaping decisions that directly impact them. Well, that's a lot. We keep busy. Right. It sounds like it. And it's all, it's, you know, addressing a number of, of needs, you know, and so just focusing on one thing, which I, which I like, imagine that, um, you know, some of this is probably gotten a lot more interest or, or maybe began after this drought that California went through. I know that they were in a really severe drought from 2011 to 2016 or 17. So I'd be interested in hearing a little bit about how that drought impacted some of the Central Central Valley's aquifers. Sure. The drought was devastating on many fronts. The droughts caused communities to lose access to drinking water as their wells went dry as a result of groundwater overpumping. Drought also caused more land to sink, resulting in millions of dollars of damage to canals and other infrastructure. During the drought, between 2012 and 2015, groundwater levels declined 30 feet, primarily in southern parts of the Central Valley. But I think it's also important to point out that California has been overpumping groundwater for decades. This is not new. And as a result of climate change, droughts are only getting more severe and coming more frequently. The last drought was essentially, I think, the straw that broke the camel's back that led to state, state lawmakers to finally take action. It's also worth noting that the drought didn't just affect agriculture in California. Cities were required to substantially conserve water as well. City governments were giving out timers to put in your bathroom as you took showers. And it became common to collect water from showers and buckets to use to water plants. So the implications of the drought were really felt throughout the state, across communities, and across sectors. So I'm curious, have you seen as a result of that drought and the measures that people put in place during the drought, like just 
talked about, you know, shorter showers and folks uh, in agriculture finding, you know, any way they can, I guess, to conserve water. Have you, have you seen kind of a, a lasting impact of that kind of focus on conservation? In other words, you know, do people kind of maintain their appreciation of water and thinking, well, you know, this is something I need to conserve even then, even when it might be raining a lot? It's really interesting. I think there's often policy windows where the issues get really severe, right? And then people pay more attention to them. And then when the next rain comes and the drought goes away, people's memories are often short. And that's why in California, because of the last drought, we were able to pass some really significant water legislation that allowed us to put us on a trajectory towards more sustainable groundwater management. And that was really significant. Well, you know, one thing I've noticed in Texas is that it seems like the city council or the agency or whoever goes to the ratepayers for the rate increase after the drought's over. And I, I never, I've never understand that. I mean, when we have like two or three year drought, they're like, well, you know, when this thing ends, we'll ask people to, to maybe help us with infrastructure we need to cope with the next drought. And you point out, I mean, it, you know, I think people can have short memories, especially when it has to do with money. To me, that's always a timing thing. You got to kind of strike when the iron's hot, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And I think you have to be ready, ready to take advantage to be able to act. I think that's why they refer to it as a policy window. Right, right. So the California legislature responded to that drought and they passed something called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. And so tell us, about the primary features of that act, which I guess is also referred to as SIGMA. Yeah, that's right, SIGMA. SIGMA is the most sweeping change in California water law in over a century. For the first time in our state's history, legislation requires regions of California to balance groundwater supply and demand, and they have 20 years to do this. So by 2040 or 2042, depending on how overdrafted the groundwater basin is. For the legislation, local control is really fundamental. Sigma empowered local agencies to create groundwater sustainability agencies tasked with developing plans to balance groundwater supplies. Last year, the regions with the most overdrafted groundwater basins actually submitted their plans. And this year is going to be a really pivotal year because the department is actually going to review those plans and they'll be coming out with their first reviews and kind of assessments of these plans. So a lot of folks are paying really close attention to how the groundwater sustainability agencies are proposing to balance supply and demand and to DWR, the agencies tasked with reviewing these plans to really hold people's feet to the fire. Everyone is going to be watching to see how strict the state is and determining if these groundwater sustainability plans pass muster. So if you're in Texas, that program sounds somewhat similar to desired future conditions, you know, where groundwater districts are asked to get together and, and kind of say what they want their aquifer to look like in, you know, so many decades. For Sigma, stakeholder participation is key, and it's actually required by the law. And it's interesting for Sigma, the goal is to achieve sustainability within 20 years. And achieving sustainability essentially means avoiding six undesirable 
results or these six deadly sins, such as declining groundwater levels, degraded water quality, reducing our surface water depletions, and so on. So there's pillars that have to be met in order to achieve sustainability within those 20 years. So were there groundwater districts per se in California prior to Sigma? That's something I've, I've never quite been clear about. In California, there have been special act districts which have come together to manage groundwater. In California, we also have, as we do across the West, adjudicated basins where there's a disagreement and people actually go to the courts to settle groundwater rights. And so those are the traditional mechanisms to manage groundwater. So what are some of the innovations in groundwater management that have been developed to help groundwater users comply with Sigma? Even though Sigma passed more than five years ago, we just saw the first groundwater sustainability plan submitted a year ago. So we're very much still in early days. One thing I think that is abundantly clear is that there is no single silver bullet that will enable regions to balance groundwater supplies. It's going to take a variety of solutions and a variety of innovations. These solutions will include strategies like groundwater recharge, water trading, and programs to help landowners repurpose farmlands that go out of production to other uses, such as low-impact solar and wildlife habitat. Without these strategies, it's been estimated that as much farmland as the size of Yosemite National Park could be taken out of production. And that's a pretty daunting statistic. But this doesn't have to be the story. And the Public Policy Institute in California, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that group, they're a nonpartisan think tank, but they estimate that using a portfolio of strategies that includes water trading could decrease the need for land following by more than a quarter in California, and they could reduce annual revenue crop losses by more than a third, as well as job losses by 8,000. So there is some hope, and it's really important to be strategic and thoughtful on how we move forward. At EDF, we really think that well-designed trading programs are an important tool to give farmers and water managers more flexibility. They can help reduce these impacts under our new context of SIGMA. Groundwater agencies in California are really just getting started when we're thinking about trading and how to reduce water use under this new legislation. And we've really been fortunate in California to work with one particularly forward-looking water district in Kern County, which is ground zero for water overdraft. And we've worked with them to co-develop an online open source water accounting and trading platform. And this platform is, is really unique in that it gives landowners in the district a much better understanding and picture of their water budget, as well as makes it easier for them to buy and sell water with others in the district. So I've got a couple questions. What can you tell us about that water accounting and trading platform? Is that essentially like somebody who is interested in buying and selling stocks or commodities or something and has a, a program to do something like that? I hesitate when you say stocks and commodities because we're talking about real water here and we're talking about working within local areas to enable more flexibility in how water is managed during times of scarcity. We're not necessarily talking about the free market. You really need to be thoughtful about how you design the rules and you also need to put rules in place to ensure protections for the things that we care about, like communities and the environment. So maybe it'd be helpful if I tell you a little bit more about the platform and then we can go from there. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah. So there's basically three components of the platform. You have the accounting portion, you have the trading portion, and you also have a modeling tool. 
And before trading can even happen, you have to know how much water you have to work with. So the foundation of the platform is really accounting. And this provides landowners with information about their annual water budget. They can check it like they would check the balance on their online bank account. And each landowner has an individual account where they have water assigned to them. And the platform lets the water district see how much water each landowner has in their account, as well as overarching water availability throughout the district. The trading component works a bit like Craigslist. There's an online bulletin board where the landowner can see offers to buy and sell water. Landowners can go onto the platform. They can post offers to buy or sell water. They can respond to offers, and they can also accept the offers through the platform. For the district that we're working in with Kern County, they've decided to make all the financial transactions take place outside of the platform, and those are confidential. And then once that transaction happens, they actually go back onto the platform, register that trade with the district, and then it gets incorporated into the accounting. And then the third component I'll touch on is groundwater modeling decision support tool. Platform uses this modeling tool, which was developed by an engineering firm out of Lincoln, Nebraska called Olson. It's called the Groundwater Evaluation Toolbox, or GET for short. And we use this tool to let water managers proactively assess groundwater level changes that could result from different management actions. So those actions could be trading or groundwater recharge or anything in your portfolio of approaches that you could pursue. And by doing this and looking at these groundwater level changes, you can work to avoid undesirable results. So for example, you can imagine that you have a region that is engaged in trading. And if you have a disadvantaged community who perhaps is reliant on shallow drinking water wells, you can model out those projections to take actions to prevent those trades maybe from happening or to put in place certain design rules to make sure communities or even the environment is taken care of. And perhaps since you're from Texas, I'll mention one more thing. We're also bringing the modeling aspects to Texas, and we're working with the Barton Springs Edward Aquifer Conservation District. So that's some exciting development as well. Well, I know that the Edwards Offer Authority, which has had a groundwater market that's been functioning for over 20 years now, had a model, a trading platform, I guess, that users haven't used it as much or something. I'm not clear on the story there, but I don't know how well it succeeded. It sounds like it wasn't as sophisticated as what y'all have put together out there. But one thing I'm interested in, so the the model which looks at impacts. So would the the agency in Kern County be the one that uses that to, I guess, you know, look at what potential trades might result in, or would the user, the 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 person who has a water right be using that model? Yeah, the way we set it up with the water district that we're working with in Kern County is the groundwater manager and their staff use the tool in-house. They don't have to send it out to a consulting firm to be able to run scenarios. And they could use that to inform trading rules. And they can also use it to evaluate trades through time and from cumulative management actions. And I think it's important that it could also be used in communicating with stakeholders because often these decisions are seen to be made in in a black box. And it's really important for the community to be involved and be engaged and understand the management actions and programs that are being involved and how they're being carried out over time. So, for example, there's a, a really big trade pending or something and the 
Kern County agency uses the model and it, it turns out, well, this might have a negative impact on something. Does that mean at that point the public is, is made aware of that and they can comment on it or, or, or how, how would that work? Yeah, you know, I think it's important to maybe step back in terms of how we're implementing the program. So right now, the water district that we're working with is Rosedale Rio Bravo in Kern County, heart of overdraft in the Central Valley. And they've so far, they've implemented that counting portion of the platform. And we're doing it in a phased approach for a couple of reasons. It's a really good opportunity to get people familiar with a platform, better understand how much water they have to work with. And then when scarcity is demonstrated within the basin as Sigma moves forward, then the trading will come online. And so it's really important for the district and stakeholders to be involved in developing these policy decisions and their rules for how they are going to implement the program. And I don't necessarily think that those will be the same in every place. But yes, there does need to be an approval process and the governance is really paramount to this being successful. So ultimately, I guess people with water rights would have access to the account or the trading platform. And yeah. So any landowner within the district has an account. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned that uh, the first round of Sigma plans have been finished. And I guess they were, it sounds like they were for the bases that were in most need of the of, critically overdrafted basins. Yes. Right. Right. Any, anything you can share with us about those plans? Are they now going through review? Has there been kind of an assessment on how the districts did in their efforts to put these plans together? Any, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's a question that many people are speculating on. Everyone wants to know the answer to. So the plans were submitted in January of 2020. Those reviews, I think, are going to come out staggered this year. Okay. And so there's been a, a number of different groups who have spent time reviewing the plans. And I think the reviews are, are mixed and no plan is in the same position. I think on one hand, you could say that people wish there was more stakeholder engagement, there was more detail in the plan, we had more information. There's some concern that maybe ecosystems dependent on groundwater weren't recognized to the extent that people would have liked them to be. These are all really valid concerns, especially the stakeholder engagement issues. It's also important to understand that Sigma is a massive new endeavor. We did not previously manage groundwater in much of California, and now we're on a trajectory to do just that. And so the amount of data and information and just the sheer level of effort on so many people's parts to put these plans together is really immense. And so we've made good strides. By no means are they perfect, but we will hear this year the standard that the department is going to hold people to. Well, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to expect that, you know, the first round of plans, I mean, you know, they're the guinea pigs and kind of working through new law and uh, new management of groundwater that hasn't had before. And so it's it's a evolving process, it sounds like to me. Yes. Do these plans get updated? They'll be updated every five years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what, you know, in Texas, we've got our you know water planning process and we update our state water plan every five years. That seems to be a good mark for, for taking a new look at things. Yeah. So let's end with a question about, or almost end with a question about uh, markets. What I mean, what do you think is the role that markets should ultimately play in water management? It sounds like you're, you know, you really are all in on that. 
and which I'm a big fan of them too. And so I'd just like to hear your, your thoughts. And I would say we're all in with caveats. Markets can be designed in many different ways and how they're designed, we call them healthy trading programs, is really important. So they need to be designed with protections in place. To answer your question, I think markets can mean so many different things to different people. Of course, at EDF, we advocate for markets. We advocate for transparent markets because we feel that they give landowners more flexibility in choices, especially in times of water scarcity. Water trading is already happening in California. It's been happening for a long time and it's not necessarily going to stop. So it's really imperative to create rules that protect the water needs of the community and the environment. And these really need to be considered first before trading ever happens. And I think it's also important to understand that water markets are not a panacea. They are one of many important tools that can come together to help address water scarcity with some enhanced flexibility to create more resilient outcomes. And I think you mentioned that you're planning on taking what you're you're learning in California and taking it on the road to some other places, right? Yeah. Um, right now, we're doing a series of workshops with different stakeholder groups to dive deeper into the platform and see how it could be used for different regions, for different stakeholder groups. So we have some interest in Texas and the Pacific Northwest and in other areas of the West. So we're really excited to see how it can be scaled. And we designed it open source for that very purpose so that others can take it, adapt it, and tailor it to their specific needs. Great. So... How can our listeners find out more about EDF's groundwater programs? Sure. Well, we'd love for people to find out more and ask questions if they have them. But we've created an online guide that takes a deep dive look at the water accounting and trading platform. And you can find that URL at www.edf.org backslash water platform story. We also have a web page overflowing with Sigma related resources that could be found at www.edf.org backslash Sigma and Sigma is spelled S-G-M-A. If you're interested in more, a general overview of Sigma, uh, lots of different resources from different groups coming together. I recommend the groundwaterexchange.org. And of course, I'm always happy to talk more. And if you want to reach out, my email is cbabbitt at edf.org and that's spelled B-A-B-B-I-T-T. Great. Thank you. Well, Christina, uh, I've really enjoyed talking about water markets and what's going on in California and uh, all the things that EDF is, is doing. Thank you for uh, you know joining us today. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. This has been Talk Plus Water. My guest today was Christina Babbitt, Senior Manager of the California Groundwater Program at EDF. She is working to advance and scale groundwater sustainability policies and practices across California's Central Valley and beyond. If you enjoyed this episode of Topless Water, consider giving it a like. My name is Todd Butler. Let's talk water again soon.